This is Here Arizona, addressing issues, empowering our community. Marcus Castillo is showing us through his Chandler home, and alongside him, his tortoise is taking a leisurely stroll through the front room. Can you hear him? That is really weird. Marcos is a full-time wheelchair user, and last episode, we spoke with him about transportation. Today, we're asking him about his home. Let's see. I have the, um, um, the handles on the doors are like those lever handles, right? Um, and then I used to cook a lot more, so I had most of my adaptive stuff in the kitchen. This house isn't as adapted as my other one. We've only been here about... Oof, yeah, we've been here almost two years now. But um, I have the Google Home. I have one in the living room, one in the bedroom. Um, I have a wireless uh, or one of those Wi-Fi thermostats um, so I can control the temperature um, if I'm in bed or if I can't get to the thermostat or my phone. Um, because there's been times when the AC is either too cold or I'm cold because it's winter and I cannot leave the house because my body temperature isn't where it should be. One of the things people always get a kick out of here is, so do you see the string that's attached to my door? And then it's attached to the frame and it has a little pulley there and it comes to a, a brass hook at the end of the string. So another friend of mine, when I first moved out on my own, um, rigged this up for me. And actually this same string has followed me around for about 15 years now. And so it's, uh, it's done me well. So people always get a kick out of it when they come here. They're like, oh, what's this for? I'm like, oh, that's how I close the door when I leave or else the door hits the chair and I wouldn't be able to reach the handle. I'm a really big proponent in um, universal design. And that just seems like something that um, a lot of architects aren't jumping on. Like they should be excited about universal design, right? This is Inaccessible, a Hear Arizona podcast. I'm Andrea Pasquale, the director of Sun Sounds of Arizona, a reading and information service for people who can't read or hold print because of a disability. And I've been working with people with disabilities for over 15 years. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, one in every eight Americans has some type of disability. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention puts that number at one in every four U.S. adults. With this show, we're taking a look at the issues people with disabilities face in Arizona. Today's episode is all about housing. So I've been paralyzed for 18 years. And in those 18 years, I've never found a family unit that is accessible. People with disabilities face a double-edged sword. With increasing home prices and rents, it can be hard enough finding an affordable home in Phoenix, let alone an accessible one. Modifying an inaccessible house costs more money. But without modifications, people with disabilities can miss out on the most basic of necessities. My name is John Bobian. Um, I'm a husband and a father to two boys. For a while, John lived in a home that wasn't modified at all. And at the time, he didn't need certain accessible features. When I first moved into the, the starter home, I actually was still able to walk back then. 
So that kind of tells you something. You know, the last 10 years, my muscular dystrophy has progressed significantly. Um, back then, I was walking and I had leg braces. I still had strength issues and my legs would kind of give out on me after a little while. But through those 10 years and a good chunk of it living in that house, I trans slowly transitioned to a power chair. And now I use a power chair full time. I, I'm not able to transfer anymore. And at one point in my current home um, that I moved into, it wasn't accessible to begin with. I had to have it modified. And at the time when the home wasn't modified and I moved in, I actually had to uh, take showers in my backyard for a long time, actually. <laughs> and uh, and it was coming coming up on winter time. It was freezing outside. So it was, it was an interesting time in my life having to take showers outside and use like uh, portable toilet seats in order to keep going with my life. Luckily, I was on an insurance plan that, that covered it, but the process was, it did take some quite some time uh, because first it has to be approved through the insurance you know, I worked with Ability360 to have some portions of my house modified. I also worked with uh, vocational rehabilitation to modify the other parts that my insurance wouldn't cover because uh, that was that was an issue. And I think you asked, you know, was it expensive? I think it was pretty expensive to have all that done. Um, basically, if I, if I wasn't able to have this done... Um, it would have made it really difficult for me to continue functioning in society because I wouldn't be able to use the bathroom appropriately or shower. And I don't think I could live like that and continue going to work. So having all this stuff done really made a huge impact on my life so I can continue going and, and achieving success in life. We usually see ramps and a lot of bathroom work, widening doorways, high-rise toilets, installation of grab bars, a tub cut, perhaps a roll-in shower, a vanity being taken out with a pedestal sink being installed, those types of things that allow for more dignity and safety and independence in the home. My name is Daryl Christensen. I'm the Vice President of Community Integration here at Ability360. Ability360 is one of the groups we spoke with last episode. Their goal is to help people with disabilities be as independent as they can possibly be. For John Bobian, they helped him modify his home and make it livable. So part of my work is here at Ability360 is to advocate for uh, people with disabilities and seniors to help them get uh, appropriate, safe, uh, and affordable housing. For example, we do work with one of the Arizona long-term care providers and do home modifications for their members. We also have some funding through different cities that we can do some accessibility work, uh, very nominal type of work. And so there are some funding sources to make those uh, modifications to an existing apartment. But here again, the the options are really quite quite limited. And that's 
truthfully, one of the hardest parts about our job is when we get callers and we don't have many good options available. Another piece that we work with here at Ability360 is to really educate people in the housing industry that the housing builders and developers can really learn from the fact that uh, accessibility is in their best interest. Uh, I think developers oftentimes are afraid of accessibility due to cost. Brian Swan is the president and CEO of Gorman and Company, a developer that's committed to building accessible housing. Especially in new construction, if it's designed from the front end of the project, the costs of accessibility are really incremental to the overall development. And honestly, from a pure bottom line perspective, could improve uh, the financial outcome of a project long term, uh, given you know adequate accessibility throughout the development. So really, a new construction, if it's planned out in advance, you, know, you may increase the cost of the unit by about uh, 2 to 3%, um, but uh, that's about the extent of it. A few years back, Gorman and Company made the decision to build all its new developments under the principle of universal design. And universal design uh, really doesn't take accessibility to the extreme. It simply addresses, um, you know, general accessibility in terms of things like the outlets and the wall switches and the visitability of the unit. How accessible are the common areas? Can you get into the living room? This means a new apartment would be as accessible as possible, while also leaving the opportunity for someone to easily and cheaply modify it. So if you take, for instance, uh, in a bathroom area, um, you may want not want sort of that institutional feel of uh, full grab bars in all locations. Um, however, uh, if you don't put the backing and the, and the um, framing behind the drywall to support grab bars if they were to be added later, you know, the cost of going back to doing that later uh, would be significant. Whereas if you simply put in some additional two by four backing behind the drywall, it's almost no expense at all. It's a very small incremental expense uh, on the front end. So, yeah, there is a strong movement towards universal design. And honestly, I think it should be a national standard uh, applied to projects across the board. When buildings aren't designed this way, it means that people, like John Bobian, often can't even visit. Maybe you're able to use the toilet and the sink in your own home, but when you go out to a restaurant or some public place, um, one, you may be stopped by stairs, you can't get in, or the doorways, it's too narrow so you can't get into the building itself, or there's some kind of a step up, once the one step into the doorway. Most houses have a one step up into the front doorway of the house, which means that if I wanna go visit a family member or a friend, I have to bring a ramp with me, and I have to pray and hope that their doorway is wide enough so I can get into their house. And then once I'm there, I can hang out for as long as I can until I have to use the bathroom because usually toilets in these houses nowadays are in these tiny little closets with a door and there's no way I'm getting in there. Just, I could probably go on and on, um, but first and foremost, definitely having the house modified and other things modified so that you can get out into the world. That's the biggest thing. Um, I. I'm, I honestly think that all homes, 
like all new homes should be built without that step into the house so that everyone can get into all homes. What kind of incentives exist for uh, developing uh, projects for uh, disabled populations? And unfortunately, the answer to that question is just very little out there uh, in terms of uh, financial resources available to developers who are committing to universal design. And it would be great to see uh, more of an investment at the federal, state, and local level uh, to encourage more accessible uh, design and uh, to create more accessible units throughout um, our portfolios. Um, so that, that's one thing we would like to see more of. There aren't a lot of existing resources. Um, Ability360 does a great job of providing retrofits to existing housing, but it's really expensive. You know, we, want, we really need to push for accessibility at the front end when these new projects are being designed um, so we don't have to go back and retrofit them later. But the resources are limited, and um, that's one thing we'd like to see more of out there. So what laws and regulations do exist to make housing more accessible? Uh, the Fair Housing Act comes into play. And Rose Daly Rooney is the legal director for the Arizona Center for Disability Law. Okay, so it's basically public and common use areas have to be uh, accessible uh, and usable by persons with disabilities. So the sidewalks have to be wide enough and uh, they have to, and the doors that people have to enter to go into the lobby or the laundry room have to be wide enough for a wheelchair. Um, and they have to have accessible route, like when you enter your apartment or condominium, you should be able to navigate all the way through if you're in a wheelchair. The door should be wide enough wherever you need to go and there should be turnaround space for them. But these rules don't apply to the houses that Marcos Castillo and John Bobian live in. A single uh, family residence, unattached single family residences, no. It's, it doesn't cover them. Now, you can find some local ordinances. For example, Pima County has a local ordinance that requires builders to make reasonable uh, modifications uh, at during building because that's when it's the cheapest to do. Um, they also have some accessibility features. So some local law may, um, may provide greater rights, but under the Fair Housing Act, it doesn't include single-family residents for this, for this protection. Other protections of the Fair Housing Act may apply, but just this uh, accessible design features. When I was trying to get uh, my second home, I was actually thinking about having a house modified from the very beginning. So I was going to use a home builder to have my house um, built accessible from the beginning. And the company would not do it. And they said, we're selling homes so quickly, we don't, we don't even want to bother with you. So that's, that's kind of the reason why the sec second home that I purchased wasn't accessible at the beginning. And I was taking showers outside in the backyard in the winter because that home builder did not want to accommodate even though I was going to pay the extra to do it. So that kind of ticked me off quite a bit. There's a lot of challenges. Even with basic necessities taken care of, sometimes modifications are needed to pursue a hobby. John's hobby is cooking. And that's becoming increasingly more difficult because, you know, every year it's like I have a new disability because my muscles deteriorate to a point where now I have to adapt to a new situation. 
you know, at one point I was getting up and transferring myself and, um, you know, changing my own clothes and everything. And then I had to transition to, you know, a caregiver and, and a Hoyer lift for someone to transfer me and somebody to help me clothe myself. So the same thing is happening in the kitchen. It's getting harder to, like, stir a pot of something or chop vegetables or um, reach reach something in the top cabinets so that I can make the meal. It would be really nice if there were, if I had cabinets that, you know, I... I would push a button and the cabinets would come down to the level of the counter. I know those exist, but they're expensive and my insurance will not, and and voc rehab may not cover those things. Definitely insurance wouldn't because it's not a medical necessity. And voc rehab may or may not cover something like that. Um, Because voc rehab's ultimate goal is to help people go to work. So it'd be nice if I had like those cabinets that came down or something that made chopping vegetables way easier. Um, just a bunch of gadgets and things that wouldn't require a lot of muscle strength. It just looks very familiar. When my dad, we used a lot of these. Oh yeah, oh yeah, people use them all the time. A lot of stuff for people um, that only use one hand. So, you see that spatula over there? Um, I'm Heidi Lurvik, and I'm an assistive technology specialist at the Arizona Technology Access Program. The program provides loans to people looking for assistive technology, and it doesn't have to be high-tech. It could be anything from accessible keyboards to custom cooking utensils. So when somebody reaches us or contacts us, we say, what is it in your life that you're trying to do? What task are you trying to do in your life that your disability is keeping you from doing. And then we say, where is this task? Where are you doing it? Is it the kiddo on the playground? Is it somebody in um, their office? Is it something that you're trying to do in your kitchen? So that's the first step. What are you trying to do? Where are you trying to do it? And um, then we try to come up with assistive technology from that, that point. With our program, we have almost 4,000 pieces of equipment. And so they can take it out. Most of our equipment they can just take out, check it, use it for two weeks in their own environment. If it works, great. I'm going to tell you where you can buy it, who sells it. AT changes every day. I mean, something new comes out all the time. And, and it's great. Um, it's hard to keep up. Like I said, we almost have 4,000 pieces of equipment. And sometimes I might not pull something out for six months and go, hmm, I'm going to have to relearn how to use this again, you know. But, uh, but there's lots and lots of changes. Just even think about, um, you know, our smartphones. There's features on there that accessibility features, you know, um, for low vision, blind, um, hearing loss, speech, you know. So there's just even things that we use on our smartphones have changed over the years. When I first had the injury, I always wanted like a smart house, right? You, you grow up seeing them in the 80s and 90s on TV and things like that. And you always think, wow, I'm going to be able to speak to my house. And little by little, I think we're kind of getting there. And so it's, it's pretty cool for people with disabilities to be able to use things that the general public 
is kind of taken for granted as an, uh, um, an adaptation to being more independent. The thing that always comes to mind to me when we think about accessibility is people's nostalgia with the old, right? So we look at buildings and we're like, oh, wow, look, Supreme Court building looks so majestic and everything. And the first thing I see are stairs that are screaming at me, that are telling me, you do not belong here. Um, and, you know, after you start uh, tearing down those little barriers, you won't really miss them that much. <laughs> stairs are just these little square things that are going to be there to exclude everybody else. So a ramp works just as well. If we tell people that it has to be done this way, absolutely has to be done this way, it might take a generation or two, but at some point we'll get there. This has been episode two of Inaccessible from Here, Arizona. That's H-E-A-R, Arizona. This podcast is made possible by support from the Nina Mason Pulliam Charitable Trust. For more information on the state of affordable housing in Phoenix, check out our other podcast, Unaffordable. Please tell all your friends to check us out. They can search for Here, Arizona or Inaccessible on their favorite podcast listening app, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, NPR One, Spotify. And since our goal is to help empower our community, we want you to be part of the conversation. Follow Here Arizona on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. If you want to share your own story about living life in Phoenix with a disability, send a note to our producer, Jay McAuliffe, at jaymcauliffe at kjzz.org. To find out about other Arizona nonprofits that assist people with disabilities, head over to our resource page at hearearizona.org. Here Arizona is a production of the Division of Public Service at Rio Salado College, which includes Sun Sounds, Spot 127, Soundbite, KBOC, and KJZZ. This episode was reported, written, and produced by Jay McAuliffe and hosted by me, Andrea Pasquale. Our script was edited by Carrie Fair Schneider and Linda Pastores, our executive producer. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>